Amen. So again, this morning is going to be a little different for me in terms of presentation. God, um, as I was preparing for this, started me off in one place and then started taking me to other places. And usually when we stand, we focus on one particular scripture and then extract from that passage what God would have us to know in that moment. Um, today, God has pieced together some pieces, some stories that we're all familiar with. Uh, but I believe the message that he wants for us is seen all through these things. And then he tied it up for me in, in a very interesting way that uh, I'll share towards the end. But my belief is that God, again, is going to encourage us through this word uh, for those who may have things that God has not performed in your life up until this point, things that you have been praying about, things that you have been tarrying about and have laid before God, and it just seems that it has not come to pass, I believe that this word will be an encouragement to you, uh, that if you just wait, there is an appointed time for that word to manifest, amen. It's, I believe this word also will encourage those who uh, in their waiting have become complacent and even let go of some of the things that God has put in you from a long time ago, things that seem to be dormant now. I believe that this word uh, is going to quicken something and rejuvenate some things and revive some things. Um, that God has placed that you might thought was done away with. Amen. Um, and I can't promise that this will be a record-breaking uh, kind of brother uh, Zane kind of moment. So uh, <laughs> um, we have a little time, but I will not uh, take advantage of it. And um, we will get to what God is saying quickly. Amen. So we started off in Rebecca, write the vision. But... <laughs> That is just the foundation of where we're going today. The thought that God placed in my mind uh, as a title for today's um, discussion uh, is delayed manifestation. Well, there's a term that is floating around now and it has been floating around quite some time in the secular world, in the business world, uh, when it comes to being good stewards of your money and the things that you get. There's a term that says delayed gratification, that if you sacrifice some things right now for later, if you put off the pleasures of right now, the greater pleasure. The Bible says it this way, that the latter shall be greater than the former. And in this idea of delayed gratification, it's the idea that you put off what you want for now so that in the fullness of time, you'll be able to enjoy it without stress. And so this message today, delayed manifestation, there are some things, again, that God may have spoken from the time you were born over your life, things that you don't even completely understand, even at this day. But the manifestation of those things, though delayed, will come to pass. Amen. Amen. Just to kind of set and I'll throw out some points right now that we can kind of keep as a uh, thought focus as we move through these stories. There's a posture that we have to have while we're, while we're waiting 
for the manifestation to to come. And it's still three things, three points. There are more than these things, but I believe these are three points that God wants to illuminate today. While you're waiting, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. Uh, I have my youngest daughter, who is 13. Uh, one thing I say to her, I ask her daily before we, before she goes and starts the day, "Who are you?" And she always says, "Azaria." So, okay, what does that mean? I am highly favored of God. So, who are you? I am the highly favored God child. Every day, this is her declaration. This is who I am. It's important. I know we live in a day and time where names just don't have or carry the same weight anymore. Folks are labeling and tagging children with names that go on with them and knowingly that you have placed a title on them because the name that they carry carries weight. And so what we call them daily, what they respond to daily is important as we engage our children we need to keep in mind as responsible parents that we are calling them what god has called them amen and this is no slight on nobody's name of their children but god has called my child to be more than alexis more than mercedes amen and we're moving so we have to know who we are <laughs> know who you are and then you have to know whose you are. Know who you belong to. And we'll see these things all through the stories that we share. These same things. Uh, the, the theme will kind of be repetitive and become redundant even in the characters that we discussed today. Um, know whose you are. Not only do you have to know who you are, but who you belong to. Who got your back? What family are you a part of? Peter says that we are a royal generation, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a peculiar people, peculiar people. That, that word doesn't mean that we're weird. <laughs> doesn't mean that we're weird. As for too long, uh, that association has been put with that scripture. I'm peculiar, and you're just acting strange. That's not what God is calling. God is not calling his people to be a strange people. We're set apart in holiness and sanctification, not in weirdness. We'll move on with that. So know who you are. Know what God has called you to. And then last, know what God has said about you. Know what God has said about you. Again, he could have spoken some things a long time ago. And God still speaks. Make no mistake about it. We get our encouragement and strength and life through the word of God, through the written word of God. But God does speak rhema word. This is the present word necessary for your success in this moment. He gives instruction through the men and women of God, through the written word, and he will speak to you himself directly. We'll keep moving. So know who you are. Remember those things. The first story we're going to look at, a very, very familiar passage of scripture uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 5. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to kind of summarize these and kind of pick out some nuggets. And um, you can have some homework for the week. Amen. And we go back and read these 
excuse me, read these stories of uh, these men and women of faith um, that had encounters with God and had, a, had to have some time period where they waited before the manifestation came. So in Mark 5, we find a story of a woman who the Bible says had an issue of blood for 12 long years. I'm going to emphasize the length, the numbers specifically, because in the end, again, the way God just, for me personally, I'll share it with you, but it's, it's mind-blowing. Um, 12 long years, this woman had an issue, and she walked around bleeding. As a Jewish woman in the custom, she knew what the custom was, and so she was labeled by her condition. Huh, that's a good place to stop. Don't let anybody label you based on the condition that they find you in. Y'all hear me? Don't let anyone label you based on the condition that they find you in or the condition that they left you in. A lot of people will reunite or come across someone's path later on down. You will come across individuals' path later on down the road that you haven't seen in years. And the last time you saw them, you might have been dealing with some things. And so now when they see you, they only remember you based on the last time they saw you. Not knowing from that time to now, God has worked some things out. And I'm not in that state. God has lifted some things from me from that place to now, and you can't deal with me on that level anymore. Are y'all with me? <laughs> so 12 long years, she, she, she had this condition. The one thing that I want to point, about this, point out about this particular passage is, is we get excited about the fact that she heard about the Messiah coming, and she pressed her way through the crowd and desperately reaches for the hem of the garment of Jesus. And when she connects with the hem of, hem of his garment, he feels virtue go out of him and stops the crowd as he is being pressed on by many others. He stops and says, somebody touched me. The thing that I think is most interesting is that this word in this particular passage, uh, the word we see as him, is actually translated to another word that we find in Malachi. The word that says rings. There's a scripture in, in Malachi chapter 2 or 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4. It says, and the Messiah, when he comes, will have healing in his rings. Now let that settle just for a second. This woman with this issue was obviously a Jew. She knew the customs. She knew the customs. Also knowing the customs, it is, it's apparently that she was a reader of the scripture as well. Because we find in her act, it wasn't a random reach. It wasn't, I'll grab anything I can get. What this is, is a reflection of someone who heard a word that when the Messiah comes, there will be healing in his wings. <laughs> and so she hears word that Jesus in, is in town and with her condition with her smelly bloody self forgive me she presses through a crowd risking being stoned and the picture is painted like she's crawling just to touch what she can 
But I, I want to present that she is crawling with intent to reach the wing of the Messiah. Because she had a word, there was a word, a prophecy that was spoken. When the Messiah comes, there will be healing in his wings. And so because of that word, this is a thing that she held on to. After all the darkness fell, after all the little home remedies go, go to crazy and don't work, she holds on to this word that my Messiah, when he comes, will have healing, my healing, what I need in his wings. And so she presses and intentionally reaches for the wing. I wish I had, uh, I can't even, a lot of people, we call them prayer shawls here, um, but they're made is, is specific, and I don't have the time to go into the specifics of the detail of even those cloths. It, it, if uh, you get opportunity, look into it, I promise you it will bless you. Uh, so she has this encounter, she, she intentionally touches the wings, and she's made whole after being here, uh, dealing with this condition for 12 years. Story number one. Then number two, there's a story we find in Genesis chapter 37. I promise y'all we're going somewhere. I hope you hold on just a little while. There's a story in chapter 37 in Genesis, and we all know it well. Uh, it's the first mention where we find that there's a mention of Joseph and having this dream. He goes and excited about his dream, and even I think there might be some little arrogance to it um, in his sharing. He tells his brother that he's out in the field with his brothers, and they are binding sheaves, and all of a sudden his sheaf grows bigger than everybody else's, and then their sheaves bow down to him. The brothers instantly get upset. And they asked the question. They asked the question. So what you think you're going to govern over us? It's funny that people who are not pleased with the things that God has called you to will unknowingly prophesy what God has called you to. Because we find later on down the road, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph's wait was 13 years from the time that he had this dream to the time he became governor. It's a funny thing. His brother, oh, so what, you going to be the governor over us? You said it. <laughs> You're just affirming what God has already called me to. And so we travel down. He, he goes through. He, he's, he's putting, they leave him to die in a pit. They feel guilty and come back. And then they set, sell him off into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. Literally ran away from her and left his cloak there. Ends up being imprisoned for something he did not do. While he was in prison, still knowing that he was innocent and knowing who he was. Because there was a dream, there was a word spoken early in his life that he held on to. Even in, even in his experience behind the bars or in prison, he knew if he just had the opportunity to get where or even close to where God is, had put in his spirit, he knew he would be graced, he knew that he would be successful. But watch this, even while he was in prison, 
the Bible says that God favored him. That whatever he put his hand to do, God favored it. Then finally, 13 years later, he's get, he, he gets brought before, <clears throat> before uh, uh, the highest official. I'm trying to make it relatable. He interprets the dream and then he's put in position. And then his brothers are brought before him and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. The thing that they spoke <laughs> as, as a derogatory statement or question became the actual fact of what God had intended. But it took 13 years, a process, a process, 13 years, remember that. Next story, there's a story in 1 Samuel. I told y'all this was a little different presentation for me today, so y'all just bear with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we find the story of someone we know, very familiar with. This is where Samuel comes and God has sent him to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. And so when he comes, Jesse calls and gathers his sons or most of them because Samuel is going to the process is wherever the oil flows that's who will be the next king and the sons come out the biggest one who looked the part no oil flowed he goes down the line no oil flowed Samuel said I know God brought me here but there's got to be another another child somewhere Jesse says oh yeah this, yeah, the little dirty one. He out there in the fields with the sheep. You want you you want me to bring him? <laughs> there will always be critics. When God has a call on your life, there will always be critics of the call because they don't think you fit the part. Because they don't think you fit the part. So anyway, they called they called David. David comes and the oil flows. The brothers were so upset they didn't even say anything about anything, but they treated David with disdain. In the next chapter, David goes to drop off some bread. Although he was anointed king, he's still serving bread to his brothers, the ones who despise him at this point. I'll let that sit for a minute because good that that just touched me in a way while he although he was anointed to be king and he knew what God's purpose was at that point for his life he still surrendered to where he was still in the fields still serving not just serving but serving those who didn't necessarily like him We live in a society now where it's so, uh, 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 what is it, cancel culture? We're so quick to cut everybody off as soon as we run into or we bump heads or they do something we don't agree with. Or, or, and I don't give into this whole hater philosophy, that's a whole other thing, but when we think we got haters or you're my hater or whatever, whatever the case may be, our first instinct or society's first instinct now is just to cut them off. 
Let me just warn you about so easily cutting folks off. There is a possibility while you're cutting someone off, you are cutting off your own blessing because through that person, God may be trying to teach you something. God may be trying to show you something or even get something to you through them. So just be careful, be mindful. So David goes, he's serving his brother and he hears about this giant that's making all this noise about the children of Israel. The funny thing, Saul is cowering with the rest of his soldiers. It's, 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 it's such a sad thing <laughs> to have to follow the leadership of a coward. Because had Saul stood in the position as, as in the position as king before the people, because these are the chosen people. If Saul stands and becomes and acts as the king, the people will follow and victory will come. But when he cowers, what's the saying? It starts from the top. As the leader goes. And so when when Saul becomes cowardice, then the response of the army is cowardice. David comes, little shepherd boy, and he says, what is all this crazy stuff I'm hearing in my ears? Y'all don't hear this dude talking crazy about our God? And I think he had to correct it after he seen the folks. Y'all don't hear this, this man talking crazy about my God? Oh, y'all don't care? Let me, okay. So he goes and, and Saul offers this prize and all this treasure and wonderful things to the person who defeats him. David comes and says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And the first thing Saul does, well, the court does, is laugh at him. What do you know? Saul says to him, you are only a youth. And this man has been fighting since his youth. Pastor talked last week about truth versus tradition. And it's in this moment we see where tradition tries to, uh, uh, tries to trump truth. Because Saul, it, I wish, it's so funny when I think about it. And, and the way I think it's presented, we kind of overlook it. And I look at things a little different. So as I approach this scripture, I see when Saul puts his armor on David, some will present it as, is, as if it's Saul's attempt to prepare David for war. I see it more as a mockery. Amen. You're already telling him you're too young to go out here and fight. This guy is a giant. Now Saul, Saul stood about 6'6". He was a pretty good sized dude. And David at the time, 17 years old, probably about 5'8". We'll gracefully give him 5'8". And Saul puts on his armor on this 5'8 little boy and tells him to go fight this giant. It doesn't seem like he's preparing him. It seems like a mockery in front of the other soldiers. And, and, and David's response, I can't, I can't move in this. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Just because you are, have, have experienced God for a certain amount of time in a certain, amount of, in a certain way, don't despise someone who is coming to be used by God in a way that you're not familiar with. 
the traditions, the things that we're used to seeing, keep God in a box. And then when God shows up trying to blow your box apart, we say it's not him. These are things that we got to keep in mind as we're waiting for the manifestation to come. So G, uh, uh, David goes, throws off the armor and goes out and picks up, y'all know the story, he picks up the five stones with a slingshot and he kills Goliath. The very next chapter, Saul tries to kill him twice. Between the time David is anointed to king, anointed by, by Samuel as king, to the time where he's anointed to be king, Saul tries to kill this man 21 times. Process. The process. And then the other part of it is David had opportunity to take him out. And we were talking about this earlier. The honor that he had for the position that Saul held. even though he was despised and this man was literally trying to kill him. But he loved God enough. He honored God enough to, so he knew I cannot touch this man of God because he's been Ooh, God is the one who gives promotion. And so when you go against those that God has put in authority you cut your own David realized this, and so even though he's fleeing death by this man, he's still choosing to give him honor. I've been in situations where people have stood in the church and accused falsely, tried to belittle, and God just says, stand there. I, I have assigned you. And there's something that's coming beyond this transitional period that I need to get from you. But you have to learn something in this moment. Right. Sit there and serve. Right. We get caught up at work because we don't like the way the boss talked to us. We the first ones got a little gospel music playing every time. <laughs> every time somebody asks, how are you? I'm blessed and highly flavored. Y'all notice I said flavored. We got all the spiritual things down pat, but as soon as somebody rubs us wrong, we can't hold a tongue. We become the chattiest people in the office. And we forget that even in the marketplace, God demands that we honor those who are in authority over us. I know that's a little tough one to swallow. I dropped my. Okay. 13 years go by and, to, and then David becomes king. I'm going to move on. Time is moving in, so I must as well. And then the, there's another story in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 13, verses 10 through 7, it talks about a lady who has, had been bent over. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Let me back up one second. You know, there's an interesting thing I think that we miss about Saul as well. And I'm just putting it out there as God put it in my spirit um, last night. 
I think he, this is one of the cases where we see the effects of mental illness in the scriptures. The Bible says that there will be troubling spirits that would come in and trouble Saul. We, we weren't, or when the scripts were written and the record was written, we weren't so advanced in what we know. But it could very easily be related to what we know as mental health illness in today's time. The reason I point that out is because there is nothing that we experience today that God doesn't already have knowledge of. And even with what we're dealing and what we've come to know today, God has a plan and a way to help you deal with whatever it is. And he will keep you protected from those who may cause or want to cause you harm physically and spiritually. There will be physical attacks, things that you can put your finger on. You can say that person did that at this time. I know what that is. And then there will be times where your mind just may not be at ease. And you just don't understand what's going on, but there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes through getting close to God, through knowing God, and talking to somebody about it. Let's not be so, 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 so deep with our spiritual gifts. God is able to do all things, and God has provided resources in the earth that helps us deal with the things we have to deal with in the earth. Leave that there. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 17, we find a woman who had been bent over, the Bible says, for 18 years. I love this story because when she pops up in scripture, there's nothing else said about her except that she's bent over and had been bent over for, for 18 years it doesn't say that she cried out she was crying out in pain it doesn't say that she was asking God or Jesus to do anything for us Jesus for her Jesus just saw her condition and then moved out of compassion to heal what it says to me and it's a lesson I've learned and I'm I'm <laughs> It's probably the greatest lesson I've learned in life. Every time I've come to a situation, and I've been in many, uh, where I know God has spoken a word, but it just seems like it's not coming to pass, I have to find what Paul says, the place of contentment. Paul says, I know how to abound, and I know how to, I know what it feels like to be abased. I know what it feels like to have, I know what it feels not to have, but whatever state I find myself in, I have learned to be content. For me, when I find that place of contentment, that's when transition happens. 
Ooh, because I stopped fighting and trying to produce something that I believe God has spoken. If God has spoken it to you, it's God's responsibility to bring it to pass. Not yours. We have a work to, uh, we have a role to play in it, but after we have done everything we can, it's on God. And then we can do like Isaiah said, like he says in Isaiah, he says, come on, continue with me by my word. Remind me of what I said to you. And when we do that, and we hold him accountable to his word, because he himself says, I put my word even above my name. So the thing that I promise to do, I'm going to do it. We say God cannot lie, be like it's, it's, and it is a part of his attribute. He's so holy. But the, the piece that God can't lie because whatever he speaks, it creates. When God says a thing, because he's the power of life that comes in his word, it has to happen. So I see this lady and I feel like she has, she has without complaining, she had, the Bible doesn't say that she was doing anything. She, she was just coming past and Jesus saw her, healed her, and then <laughs> church folk ignored the miracle and started to accuse Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. We find a, a few of these instances. There's another instance. Uh, I believe in the book of John where there's a man who was blind from birth. And they started talking about who, who did what? Why is he blind? Did his mama do it? His daddy do something? Is this a curse on the family? What happened? <laughs> it's so funny. So I'm sorry. So they, the man is healed. Jesus gives instructions. The man is healed. He comes back. They pull the man in. Is this man a sinner? The man said, listen, I don't know nothing about what y'all talking about. All I know is, I was blind, now I see. The rest of that, y'all can talk about yourself. I know he told me to do this. I couldn't see before he told me to do it. I did it. I can see. I'm going to go see, look at some stuff. <laughs> I can't even tell you what he looked like. All I know is, I couldn't see before he told me. So y'all had that discussion about whether or not he's a sinner. If he is, uh -huh. sinner got some power. There will be individuals who will discredit what God is doing in your life because they don't like the way it happened. They will try to add their own opinion. God, if God was going to do it, he would have did it this way. We have to be careful because in the time that we're waiting for the delayed manifestation, God will send markers. There will be markers along the way that if we're not paying attention to, we will, we, we will devalue what God is showing us because we don't like the way it was presented. Thank you, Jesus. So there, 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 there could be an experience where you're walking out of 7-Eleven and there's a smelly homeless man standing there and he starts to talk Bible. 
because he smells and looks the way he does, we don't pay attention to anything he's saying. Not knowing that if God can use a jackass, I'm sorry, that's the Bible, to speak to prevent a prophet from moving in the wrong direction, what makes you think he won't use just a random individual to get to you? I believe I am special enough to God that he will do whatever it takes to get his word to me. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I'm not worried about how God says what he says. I'm just glad that he says something. I'm going to tell you one more story. 26 years ago, I walked into an apartment of a friend after being told, and I may have shared this, I'm sure I've shared this with some, bear with me, after being told that they just saw my face on the television. I was wanted by the police for something I had no idea about. When they were telling me, I thought they were a joke until I crossed the threshold of their apartment. And the first thing I saw on the screen was a picture of me, wanted, I, bewildered. But that moment changed my life. Because a year later, I was convicted of that crime. That I had nothing, no knowledge, nothing to do with. In fact, I'll say that part. Convicted, sentenced to 25 years for a crime that I did not commit. <laughs> I get excited about this. I'm sorry, Pastor. I know some things that some folks can't take, but this is my story. And so after being convicted, I was sent to the Maryland House of Correction to serve a sentence of 25 years for a crime that I did not commit. Let me back up. I was facing double life and 175 years. At my sentencing, the judge says, son, I don't believe you did this, but you've been convicted, you've been found guilty by a jury of your peers. Ha <laughs> ha, laughable. And so all I can do for you is sentence you to 25 years. Even in that, that was mercy. That was grace. Went to serve my time at the Maryland House of Corrections. Walked in that first night scared to death because I didn't know what was going on. But as time grew, God began to deal with me and I finally surrendered to God while in prison. And God began to speak and remind me of who he told my mother I was. Time goes on, and then uh, some years later, about mm, close to eight years later, I get to the point where after being denied appeals, 
after being rejected by attorneys who would initially say, yep, I'm going to take your case easy, only to come back and say, I don't want too much to deal with this. God, God gave me instruction while I was there. The instruction was to build the church through music. And that's what we did. There was, and some of you all may know, there was a chaplain that came in around 1998 by the name of Lonnie Wortham. A dear brother, a dear friend to this day. And with his leadership, God's grace, and the wonderful gifts that God placed behind those bars, we built a ministry that today I still have not experienced the worship that we had in that place. We saw miracles. There were testimonies of miracles. There are still miracles being wrought. We got people who are coming home that the, the court said would never see the light of day outside of prison. God is still moving even behind the prison walls. And so after surrendering, I got to the place uh, because I was fighting to make it happen. I'm not guilty. I need to get home. I need to have my name cleared. I remember praying with my mother on the telephone. And she said, God told me to ask you, do you want to come home first? Or do you want your name cleared? I said, Mom, I'm trying to come home. I cleared my name later. Get me out of here. <laughs> Shortly after that, God did just that. Through connections and old, it's, I don't have time to go into all details, but miraculously, God put me in connection with uh, an attorney that, uh, long story short, the process from me filing a petition for post-conviction relief to the time I came home was a total of eight months. God did in eight months what I was trying to do in eight years. They overturned the conviction, but there wasn't a verdict of not guilty. I'm sorry, I get a little emotional because it's still fresh for me. And so I came home in 2005, released from prison, but not freed of the accusation. It became a very interesting journey to me because while I fought so hard to get out of prison, I now had to find myself fighting to prove that I was ever there. Because the conviction is gone off of my record, and now I have a, almost a decade gap. I have no employment history. I have no rental history. Well, there were some folks that used my name and got some stuff, but I could not prove where I had been for almost a decade. But God, because he had a plan and had given me a word, the only thing I had to hold on to, I'm glad it, terrible decisions and all these other things, it's been a rocky up and down road. Because I always held on to God said he would clear my name down the road. 
there have been times, and this is, I'll bring it quickly to a close. <laughs> the story, there have been times where I was at when we were Montrose, leading worship and sleeping in my car. While I was sleeping in my car in just a few years, right before the pandemic hit, I said to God, because I had gotten at that place of contentment again, I started finding pleasure in driving to the rest stop, throwing towels on my windows, laying back, and just talking to God. It reminded me, and y'all might say this is crazy, but it reminded me of being in prison because it's just me and you and my back is against the wall. I have no other option right now but you. And there's a thing about desperation when it connects to God and he connects to it. And so in that place, in my car, God, if this is what it is, I know, I believe, I have heard you, I believe that you have given uh, you have a plan that looks way different from this. But if this is it and I have to serve while I sleep in my car, I'm satisfied with you because all I want is your heart. Amen. A week later, I come across an article uh, that is talking about uh, a friend, an uh, older guy who I was locked up with. Came home a year after me. And they were working on getting a law passed. <laughs> they were working on getting a law passed which opens the door for individuals who were wrongfully convicted to be able to get back in, in front of a judge be exonerated and receive compensation I filed for the petition <laughs> let me get I'm trying to So I, I'll tell you about this dream I had while I was locked up in this dream, I was like, it was like a holding cell. And the, in different cells, there were hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people that I could see. And above each cell, there was numbers, which I at the time thought was like a code to get to open the lock. And I never, I had this, I wish I, I should have brought the, my journal because I wrote the dream down, but I could never fully remember all the numbers, the code to open these cells. <laughs> and I think I've shared this. I got my brothers here, uh, here and my sister from another mistress here. I may have shared this in times past. The numbers I always knew were so significant, but I never could remember the whole series of numbers. The numbers that I did remember, like that I use it and it's a jumbled up version, like it's, it's, anyway. So, as I'm preparing this uh, and kind of tightening the screws on this on last night, God says, look at the numbers, David. 12 years, a woman with an issue. <laughs> 13 years before David was king, I'm, I'm sorry, Joseph became governor, 15 years before David was queen, and 26 years 
since this situation happened for me, those were the numbers that were above the sales in my dream. It didn't happen, it didn't click for me until last night. And what God reminded me of is, I have been with you through this whole process. <laughs> Let me get to the best part, the end part. 26 years ago, this situation happened. 25 years ago, I was convicted. On December 5th of last year, 2022, which marked 25 years, a little over 25 years, since I was convicted to 25 years, the state of Maryland went on record to say, David Vini is an innocent man. Yeah. <laughs> 26 years ago, it started. In 26 years, it has ended officially. Again, 12, 13, 15, 26 was shown to me in a dream in 2003. Now in 2023, I understand completely that there was an appointed time. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. This is not just about me. There is an appointed time for the thing that you have been trusting God for. That family member that you are weeping and praying about, God has an appointed time. Yes. Though he promised you years ago, delayed manifestation, it's going to happen. There's another story, I'm sorry, and this is it, I'm done, I promise, Pastor. The Bible tells us of a man we call Jesus. That when the fullness of time had come, Mary conceived and brought forth a son. He endured. And I like to think, and this, this, again, this is just one of those day things that I throw in. His, his suffering didn't start when he hit, her, hit earth. His, stuff, his suffering started when he saw the pain of his father. God was so hurt and so disappointed about the state of man. And Jesus is looking, Daddy, I know you love them so much, but I love you so much that I'm going I'm to I'm take care of this for you. And he still comes and he endures more suffering. We cause him to suffer. But he endured it because there was an appointed time. And when the time came, uh, yeah, he was killed, but he had to be. He was maligned, but he had to be. He was falsely accused, but he had to be. <laughs> because if he didn't die, how was he going to rise? If he was never whipped, how was the blood going to be shed? Oh, my God, the blood. Woo! 
Oh, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Listen, I'm closing. Time is running. I love you all, and I pray that you have been encouraged by this message. I know it was unorthodox, but trust and believe what God is saying. He spoke it to you, and he is faithful to bring it to pass. Let's stand all over the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If there's anyone, anyone, anyone in the room who may be dealing with this struggle, this fight of where you are, what God has said to you, and it's not lining up, just lift your hand up. We want to pray for you today. If there's anyone who has family members that it seems like they're just out of line with the timing of God, but they're really just out of line with your timing, raise your hand. We want to pray for you as well. Hallelujah. God, we thank you. We glorify you. You are omnipotent, God. You are sovereign, God. You know the end from the beginning, and you cause all things to work together for our good. Strengthen us while we wait on you, God. Forgive us for our, in, our impatience, God. Forgive us, God, for not trusting completely in you. God, but we're grateful that your mercies are new every morning. God, that though we fall and we're not consistent, God, you're still consistent in your love toward us. We're standing on your word, God. We're standing on your promises, God. We speak life. We speak strength. We lose faith, God. We store joy in the name of Jesus, God. We jubilate and revive us that we might be strengthened to carry out your will, God. And until the manifestation happens, God, give us the strength to wait on you. Give us the courage to trust you, God, beyond what we see, beyond what we understand, God. Give us the courage to trust in you. God, we glorify you. We thank you. Done what you have commanded me to do. And I pray, God, that the fruit, the seeds that have been planted, will produce fruit for your kingdom. We give you glory. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, give God some praise as we turn it over to Pastor Fentress. Hallelujah.